first Bible reading for this evening is from 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Believe me, once you hear all these Old Testament names in here, you're going to be very grateful that I'm reading this aloud and not you. But let's open our ears and our hearts to God's Word. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. The sons of Judah, Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shobal. Reiah, the son of Shobal, became the father of Jahath. Jahath became the father of Ahumai and Lahad. These were the families of the Zorathites. These were the sons of Etham, Jezreel, Ishma, and Idbash. And the name of their sister was Hazel Laponi. And Penuel was the father of Gador, Azor the father of Husha. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem. Asher, father of Tekoa, had two wives, Hela and Nara. Nara bore him Ahuzam, Hafer, Tamani, and Hashatari. These were the sons of Nara. Our second passage is a lot more legible, and it's from the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> Let me read for you Luke chapter, beginning in chapter 19, in verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and welcomed him. He was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and say, He's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save what is lost. Amen. You're all probably really wondering what I'm going to do with that Chronicles passage, aren't you? Well, let's pray and see what I come up with. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd open your word to us this evening. And teach us from it how much you love us and how much we matter to you so that we can live in the freedom that that provides. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A while back, I got a call from a young man in his 20s. And he asked me if I could give him the name of someone who could act as a mentor for him. He wanted someone who was older, someone who was wise, someone who was spiritually mature, someone he could really look up to. And to my chagrin, he wasn't asking me. I even hinted that I'd be willing to do it, and he still didn't want me. And that kind of bothered me, because not because I had this need to mentor this man, or because I had all this spare time that I needed to fill, 
But I wanted him to ask me so that I could feel important, so that I could feel like I mattered. Now, if you're like me, a lot of what you do is driven by the desire to feel significant. I love coming home or to my office and seeing that blinking answering machine light on my answering machine, you know, telling me I have messages. And even though I'm busy and that adds pressure to my life, I love that because that little blinking light is like a beacon of hope that says, somebody wants you, somebody wants you, you matter. I have a thing about keys. I love having a lot of keys on my key ring because it just makes me feel good to know that I can get into places that other people can't. It makes me feel significant. Some of us in this room probably feel driven to uh, acquire money or grades or friends or prestigious jobs or even to do a lot of work in church just to feel like we're significant. In fact, after our needs for survival have been met, I think the most pressing question we face is, do I matter? Do I matter? Do I myself matter? Not just my accomplishments, not just my achievements, but do I matter? And do I matter even if my resume is not as impressive as other people? Do I matter even if I fail at a career or a family or a relationship? Do I matter in spite of my secret shame and my silent sins that I hardly admit to myself, let alone to anyone else? Do I matter? Now, the answer from Scripture won't surprise you. It's yes. We matter to God, and it's everywhere in every page of Scripture. You see, the very beginning in the book of Genesis, where God creates everything with his word, he speaks and there's light, he speaks and there's land. But when he gets to us, he doesn't speak us into existence. Instead, what he does is he forms us with his hands out of the dust of the ground. That is, we are the only part of creation that he touches personally because we matter to him. And at the end, in the book of Revelation, God is still there saying, come to me if you're hungry, come to me if you're thirsty, because we matter to God. Now, that's a familiar statement. The problem for me is it's too familiar. I've heard it too many times, and it sort of loses its impact. And I forget just how amazing it is that the God of the universe loves little old me. And, I, and that statement sort of fails to move me. But in the story we just read about Zacchaeus, Jesus loves us and we matter to him in some pretty unconventional ways. He values us in ways that the world never will. He values us in ways that a spouse never can or a parent never can. He values us in ways that meet our deepest longings to matter, to be significant. To begin with, Jesus values us for who we are, not for what we are or what we've done. And that's different. You know, we, we live in a world where we are only as good as our last sale, our last presentation, our last act as a parent, our last test, our last sermon. So I'm hoping this one's going well. We live in a world where who we are matters way less than what we are or what we do. And that's Zacchaeus' problem. He's identified by his job, by his title, chief tax collector. In verse 7, the people refer to him by a moral category. They call him a sinful person, as if there were any other kind, right? As if that adjective were really needed. Zacchaeus isn't given a name, he's given a category. Now, we live in a world that does that to us all the time. We're divided up as some, not as somebodies, but as some things. We're, we're vice presidents, or we're doctors, or we're clerks, or we're salespeople, or we're good people, or bad people, or lazy people, or industrious people. What's the first question we ask someone when we meet them? 
What do you do? Because we think that somehow that's going to tell us something important about the person. When I was single, I remember attending a singles event and striking up a conversation with a young woman. And she asked me, her first question she asked me was, well, what do you do? Which was probably better than asking for my sign or something like that. So I, I you know, at the time I was a student, so, so I said, well, I'm a graduate student. Sensing high earning potential in that answer, she sort of got a little more interested. And she said, oh, really? Where at? I said, Stanford. She really liked that, and I felt like I was kind of on a roll. And, and then she said, oh, what do you study? And here I ran into a little bit of a problem. So I had to say English literature. And as soon as I said it, her face fell, and without saying a word, she just walked away. Strike three, I was out. What I was mattered more than who I was. I like to think of myself as Scott. But when I was teaching, I was known as the teacher. And now I'm referred to as the pastor. To the government, I'm just 534-88-9865. And to my bank, even my bank that says that they love me and care about me individually as a valued customer, even they just refer to me as 0117529. To quote the opening jingle from the TV show Cheers, sometimes you just want to go where everyone knows your name and where they're always glad you came. Well, that's the message in the passages that we read this evening. God does know our name, and he's always glad when we come to him. That's the point of the passage from First Chronicles, with all those genealogies. See, I worked it in. All those names are a record of all the people that God cares about as individuals. Not, not just as a group, not as a nation, not as a category, but as individuals. Some did noteworthy things, others didn't. Some were rich, some were poor. Some were moral examples, some weren't, but God knew each one by their name, even if it was unpronounceable. And in Middle Eastern culture, that's very significant because name to these people is not just a label or an identity. Name means the essence or the soul, the totality of who someone is. And that's what's so moving about the story of Zacchaeus. Out of all of Jericho, only Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Everything in this story indicates that Zacchaeus was considered a non-person, a nobody. He's lost in the crowd. He's short in a culture that viewed height as a sign of power and blessing. So his shortness would have marked him off as a nobody. And his job only makes things worse. He's a tax collector. And in those days, to make money, what he had to do would have been to overcharge his fellow Jews and shortchange the Romans as much as he could. He's a liar and he's a cheat. And so the crowd pushes him to the sidelines so that he can't even get a view of Jesus. And he ends up climbing a tree. Who knows why? Maybe he was just hoping if he could just get a glimpse of Jesus that maybe somehow that would make him feel better about who he was. And look at what Jesus does. In verse 5, it says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. i got to have dinner with you. This story begins with Zacchaeus looking for Jesus. But what he finds is that Jesus has been looking for him all along wandering through the streets of Jericho, calling him by name, and he includes Zacchaeus in the very community that excludes him. He says Zacchaeus, too, is a son of Abraham, and what that basically means is he's as good as anyone here. He's as worthy to be in a list of names in First Chronicles as any of those other people. I have a friend who has a five-year-old daughter who collects beanie babies, those little beanbag doll things, and she has over 50 of them. 
Now, to me, all of those things look the same, but she knows each one by sight and by name. And if even one of those beanie babies gets lost, or beanie beanies, as she calls them, if even one of those beanie beanies gets lost, she just goes frantic, and, and the whole house has to stop until they find the missing beanie beanie. Well, that's kind of how God is with us. When we are lost, he will not stop looking. He will not stop calling us by name until we are returned to him. And that's what we see in this story. Jesus wandering the streets of Jericho, calling out Zacchaeus' name. Because to Jesus, Zacchaeus isn't a, a, a category or a title. Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus. And no matter how many people get saved, God's party is not going to be complete without him. And God's party is not complete without you or without me. Biblically speaking, you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God. Isn't that nice to know? And God's family is not complete unless you're there. There's no replacing you in his family. My wife often asks, why hasn't Jesus come back already? Aren't, aren't there enough people to praise him by now? But I'm kind of glad he hasn't come back, because if he had come back prior to 1961, I wouldn't be here. So he was willing to delay the close of history just to get to me. That's how important I am. And he was willing to delay the close of history just to get to you, because that's how important you are to him. And he'll not stop searching and not stop calling you by name until you let him into your life. Not because of what you may have done or haven't done. Not because of anything you've accomplished or haven't accomplished. Not because of your job or your title or your achievements. But because of who you are. Or more importantly, because of whose you are. Unlike the world, Jesus values us for who we are, not what we've done or not what we haven't done. And that means that we are free from all the pressure we feel to achieve and prove ourselves. We matter to the God of the universe. How much more significant can you get than that? The other way Jesus shows us how much we matter is that he, we matter to him enough that he uses us to help others know that they matter too. That one of the ways that, that we see how much God values us is that he uses us to tell other people about God. Now, he doesn't have to do it that way. In fact, it'd be more efficient if he didn't use us. And I don't know why he entrusts something so precious as his gospel into our clumsy hands, but the fact that he does shows us how much we matter to him, that he wants to be partners with us in building his kingdom. And that's what Zacchaeus discovers. You see, in this story, Zacchaeus has two problems. The first is he doesn't think he matters. The second is, not thinking he matters, he doesn't think other people matter either. And so he cheats them and he treats them wrong as if they weren't important. But once he's experienced how much he matters to Jesus, he's transformed. And not only does he promise to give the money back that he's stolen, he promises to give half his possessions to the poor. That is, realizing that he matters to God empowers him to treat others as if they matter too. You see, if people matter to God, then they should matter to us as well. And the, one of the greatest joys God gives us is being part of his kingdom work in letting other people know that they matter. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that can be a bit of a tough message because a lot of times, people don't matter to me as much as they should. In fact, one of the things I find so fascinating about this story is that Jesus even notices Zacchaeus in the first place. I don't know about you, I'd never have seen him up in that tree because I'd have been going into Jericho looking for someone important. 
You know, I'd have gone into Jericho looking for the mayor or the chief priest and, and hoping that they would notice me. And I wouldn't actually care much about the mayor or the chief priest. I just want them to notice me. And that would make me feel important and significant. Because that's how I am. Too often I walk into a room and I think, here I am. Love me. Pay attention to me. When what God calls me to do is walk into a room and say, there you are. Because that's what God says to us. He looks for us, he finds us, and he says, there you are. I've been looking for you. You matter to me. Now, go tell other people that they matter to me too and know the joy of doing my kingdom work. I learned this in a very clear way when I was teaching. It was before I was a pastor, and I got a call from the then college pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and she wanted me to go talk to a student who wasn't a Christian, but who had a few questions. Now, to be honest, at the time, I didn't want to do it. I was busy, it was summer, I wanted a vacation, and on top of all of that, I was trying to finish my dissertation because if I finished my dissertation, then I would have those three wonderful letters after my name, P-H-D, which spells Scott really matters. (laughs) But as a favor to this pastor, I, I contacted the student anyway. Well, it turned out he didn't just have a few questions, he had a lot of questions, and they were hard. And one lunch turned into two, and two turned into four, and four turned into ten, and I ended up spending a lot of time with him. Now, in the end, it it paid off because he did become a Christian. And several years after that, when I had become the college pastor at Menlo Park, my staff made some videotapes of our college group worshiping. And in in one of those video clips that they had made was this student right in the center of the screen. There's this student that I had had these lunches with, and there he was, his eyes were closed, his hands were raised, he was just singing his heart out to God. And we were in a staff meeting, and we were reviewing these clips, and when we got to that scene, I got all choked up, and I couldn't talk. Now, you've got to understand, I don't normally do this. I rarely cry, especially in staff meetings. It, it depresses the staff, so I avoid it. And every time I tried to explain why it choked me up so much, I just couldn't, but every time I looked at it, I thought, here's this student. His hands raised in worship, knowing how much he matters to God just because I showed up for a lunch or two, or ten. Now, when I first got that call, it was very tempting to think that what mattered wasn't, was my dissertation, or my vacation, or, or my time, or my career. But those things didn't matter. That student did. And yeah, it, it cost me something. It, it took time. It was inconvenient. It probably delayed finishing the dissertation. All of that cheap at twice the price for that five seconds of video. Because I realized how much he mattered to God. And I realized how much I mattered to God, that God would use me to tell him the good news. We matter to God for who we are, not what we are or what we've done. And we matter to God so much that he uses us to tell others that they matter to him too. We matter. But you know what? I don't want you to just believe me. I don't want you to just believe some preacher because he tells you that you matter. In fact, I don't want you to believe anybody or anything that tells you that you matter or that you don't. I, want, I don't want you to look to anything for that kind of validation. Don't believe your boss. Don't believe your spouse. Don't believe your resume. Don't believe your bank account. Don't believe anything except the one sign that God left us to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we matter to him, the cross. You see, because that's what the story of Zacchaeus ultimately points to. Eighteen verses after Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he marches into Jerusalem for Palm Sunday, and a week later he's crucified. 
The story of Zacchaeus begins with Zacchaeus climbing a sycamore tree because he thinks he doesn't matter. And a week later, Jesus climbs onto a different kind of tree to prove to Zacchaeus that he does. And that no label can stick if heaven itself disagrees. In Isaiah, God says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. And that's the bottom line of how much we matter to God. That he would go to the cross for us. That he would rather die than lose us. You matter that much to him. I matter that much to him. And all those people out there who don't know it yet, they matter that much to him and we just got to tell them that. And what would it be like if we looked at ourselves through God's eyes? And what would it be like if we looked at other people that way too? And how would our lives change if we lived in the freedom and the confidence that we don't have to prove anything to anybody because we matter to God? That we don't have to accumulate a lot of titles or degrees or promotions to prove our worth? We don't need a lot of houses or cars or fancy clothes or fancy education? We don't need a lot of messages on our answering machines or a lot of keys on our key ring? We don't need to rack up a lot of knowledge or wealth or even good deeds? We are free from all of that pressure and we can live our lives to an audience of one because we matter to God. What else do you need to feel significant? We matter. And other people matter to him too. We just need to tell him. Lord Jesus, thank you for the links that you would go to to prove that we matter to you. Lord, we ask that you would help us live in the freedom that that brings. Help us live our life to an audience of one only for you. Help us to live free from the pressures to prove ourselves and to perform, but live just doing what you ask us to do and only to let other people know that they matter to you too. Do this and we'll be grateful people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.